you have a beautiful post on Instagram. Uh, you have 11 ways that you may be self-sabotaging. So if you could for us, please talk to us about self-sabotaging, uh, ways we can identify, ways we can stop, some solutions for us. Yeah, so self-sabotage is a very uh, large umbrella term, and it's basically any action that gets in the way of us achieving what we want to do. So our goals, our dreams, um, and it's kind of it's it's basically an act of us betraying ourselves um, because we tend to when we're too overwhelmed or when there's everything seems to just be going wrong, um, we almost convince ourselves that deep down we really something that will really benefit us something that we really want to do we just convince ourselves that okay i don't really need to do this or you know this is not for me even though it would be a much we would be in a much better place if we were actually aiming for that but that anxiety or the over, feeling overwhelmed just really discourages us and we tend to just convince ourselves that you know um we don't really want to do something so we tend to procrastinate we start uh, self-criticizing so just tell ourselves like hey I'm just not the person that can do something so great that other people are doing but maybe this is just not meant for me so and then another thing that we tend to do is we break promise, promises that we make to ourselves so that just is you know the goals we set for ourselves or the aspirations we have we don't think it's important enough to pursue those anymore because of how we're feeling in the moment. And I really think that self-sabotage shows up in so many ways, but just being accountable of really understanding, okay, what do I need? And this feeling that I'm feeling is temporary. It will pass and I can still pursue my goals. I don't have to work on it right away, but I don't have to sabotage my success by completely eliminating it from, uh, you know, my future, basically. So that's basically self-sabotage. And some of the most common ways that we do tend to act against ourselves is procrastinating. So that's the biggest one. I think that's even for me, even in undergrad, I would just put off work for hours and hours. And that in the time, in the during that time when I was putting off work, it felt great. Like I was like not thinking about what I need to get done. It was nice. But then as time goes on, I, you know, you have to still get that work done if you want to succeed. And that's where that sabotage part comes in. Um, also self-medicating from drugs and alcohol or stress eating is also a form of self-sabotage. So we choose comfort over our own health. Um, I think that's a big one for a lot of people. Um, and then one, another big one is just letting our inner inner critic just take over and we tend to believe that voice in our head the negative voice that keeps telling us that we are not enough or you know we're not meant to do this um i can't i don't have uh self-control so i can't um, stop this substance abuse or stress eating and all that i think that's all self-sabotage so how does one if a person you know is hearing this and they're like damn i'm I'm doing all of that. I'm doing everything she's saying. How does that person go about finding some solutions, some strategies, some changes to, you know, get the ball rolling towards a little more control, uh, you know, a little more compassion for yourself and 
you know, getting towards those results that we're all looking for, for our own individual lives? Like, how do they get rolling towards that? Yeah. Um, so I think for everything that we experience, self-awareness is really important. And one of the ways that we can become aware of our self-sabotaging behaviors is find out why exactly we are self-sabotaging. And there can be various reasons for this. And one of the biggest one is that we fear change and uncertainty. So for example, we feel safer sticking to what feels familiar. So any moment when we start to feel uncomfortable or things start to get harder, um, we kind of like our instinct is to go back into that shell that we have been in for a long time. So that change and uncertainty, the fear around it can make us miserable. And if we're used to being, for example, neglected, ignored, belittled, we kind of find it comforting to put ourselves in that position where, which is comfortable for us. So we don't stand up for ourselves. We don't stand up for what we believe in and what we want to pursue because we've just been, um, in an environment where we have been constantly discouraged or circumstances are allowing us to be there um, and we are just comfortable there. So that's one of the big reasons why we tend to self-sabotage. And from that comes the thing where we just don't believe that we deserve to be successful or happy. Um, so as an example, if our hard work starts to pay off and our achievements start to stack up, if we actually don't believe that we deserve it, we might become overwhelmed and give up on our goals because we believe that we're not worthy of success. And that's another thing. So when things start to get really uh, big or uncomfortable or just we're getting a lot of attention from other people for our the way we are credible in society, we might go back into our shell because it's just too much because we do not believe that we deserve that much success. And these are the two things where one is just um, not really even believing that we deserve the success. Another is just fearing that change and uncertainty. The funny thing about it uh, is once you allow yourself, when you go from a place of I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, good fortune doesn't happen to me, I'm poor, I'm broke, whatever the, whatever, when when you go from that which I, I've been there mm -hmm. to I'm worthy of this. I'm good enough of this for this. I've worked for this. I'm earning this. I'm capable of this. I'm doing well. I'm doing the best that I can. You know, when you move towards that energy, when you free your energy and you go there, you eliminate so much stress, so much worry, so much anxiety. And I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying it's possible for anyone who's feeling that way to get more confidence, to get more direction, to get more purpose, to get more clarity. And it really starts with what you tell yourself on that on that uh, document you put. Number four. No, I'm sorry. Uh, number five, you identify with your negative beliefs. And I just love the way you wrote that. Because you didn't say you identify with negative beliefs. You're making us own it. You're saying these are your negative beliefs. Mm -hmm. And when you take that ownership, and you say, you know what? This isn't my parents' thought. This isn't society's thought. This is my thought. You give yourself freedom. 
because then you can say, well, if this is my thought, now I can hold on to a different thought. I can change my thought. My negative beliefs do not need to be held on to. I can now hold on to my encouraging beliefs, my positive beliefs, my uplifting beliefs, the beliefs that I can get control of this substance issue. I can't get help if I can't get the control, which is another one of your key points. Um, on number six on this list, it says you refuse to seek help or support. Mm-hmm. So when we get off, the, let's get off of self-sabotaging and let's move to the boundaries. Uh, because I feel like boundaries is going to also help any person who may be self-sabotaging. So give us an intro um, to boundaries, how we could start, just break, break it down for us. Yeah, um, I do want to add, I, I think you you did mention the uh, the importance of self-compassion. And the statements that you mentioned are all very um, empowering and they play a role in that self-compassion component that a lot of people lack when they are self-sabotaging. So it's very, very important to practice that self-compassion. Um, but yeah, so going into boundaries, boundaries are basically our own personal limits on how people can treat us or how they can behave around us or what they can expect from us. And it's not something we think about all the time because, you know, life just happens and people come in and out of our lives and uh, we value our friendships so much that we don't really think of limiting certain things around our relationships. Um, So setting boundaries is not easy to do at all, especially if we have lived most of of our life in a culture that's more codependent where we don't see other people setting or respecting their own boundaries. Um, And, you know, boundaries can be applied in many different aspects of our life, such as our time, our emotions, um, and they're a form of self-care and self-love. That's how it's important to look at boundaries that way, because otherwise we would just start feeling guilty when we're setting these boundaries. Um, And here, the importance here for setting boundaries is because when we don't limit other people uh, with how they can treat us when we're really feeling angry towards them or resentful of something that they're doing to us and it's repeatedly happening, then we can tend to lose ourselves because we're just trying to meet their needs all the time. Uh, So that's why it's really, really important to set those boundaries uh, and not have that fear of just disappointing other people or, um, you know, feeling just always feeling guilty for declining something that we really didn't want to do in the first place. I think that that happens so often, but realizing that, okay, I really don't want to do this and I can say no, and I have every right to say no. And I don't think this person will get mad at me if I don't want to be there. You know, Um, obviously there's a fine balance in that, but sometimes we have to set boundaries to protect our own energy. In the context of setting boundaries, Mm-hmm. You know, some of the inner monologue that we can have is, oh, well, I don't want to say this because they may get mad or I need to set this boundary, but I know they're going to get mad. You know that I'm I'm talking about that secondary thought of, OK, the first is, hey, I need to set a boundary. The secondary thought is, well, this person is going to get mad at me or I know they're going to be upset with me. They're going to be disappointed or whatever that emotion is. Right. That that secondary thought after the primary thought of I'm going to set this boundary or I need to set a boundary. I and and I don't I don't have the data in front of me, but I'm I'm just really wanting your opinion. I think that that 
secondary thought, I think that that monologue is a, an occurrence that happens more in women than men. I personally think that, and, and I, again, I don't have the data in front of me, so I'm really trying to get your opinion. I think that a lot of it for men is they don't, I don't think a lot of men have that secondary thought. I think their thought is, okay, I'm just going to set this boundary and that's it. And I don't think they care about well, if this person gets mad at me, you know, obviously not all. We're not saying all men, all women. I'm just, we're just in general here. I'm just wondering if you find any truth in that. Do you think that's something that women deal with more than men with that secondary thought of, well, this person is going to get mad at me, so I'm not going to do it? Because, And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of people don't set boundaries with other people because of that fear because they're fearing how the other person is going to respond or react or what emotion they are going to go through. And one of the things that I teach with boundaries is that you actually cannot focus on what emotion they're going to go through because it's going to distract you from the suffering that you're already currently experiencing. Mm -hmm. And that if a person on the other end has to deal with whatever internal emotions they have, because you need to stop yourself from suffering. I think that you owe yourself that. So I'm just curious, do you think that's more of a woman thing, a man thing? Just what are you, what are your thoughts? That's a really interesting question. I always um talk about boundaries, but I've never really thought about how who would struggle more um in setting boundaries. But now that you say it, it seems like to me it sounds like women are generally they're more um empathic, at least uh, outwardly, right? So they might um, be more aware of their emotions and other people's emotions than men. So they might feel more, more guilty when setting a boundary because they are more aware of how that person would internalize that. But when it comes to setting boundaries, I think when a man, especially in a relationship, is setting a boundary with a woman who he is in that relationship with, or just two partners, a man, you know, whoever it is, another partner, um, who is also a man, like, if it's in a relationship situation where we are very aware of how the other, other person will be feeling, if we uh, basically, you know, ask them to stop doing something or ask them to um, give ourselves more time, just it, it will elicit some sort of a negative feeling or an uncomfortable feeling in them and when we are very aware of that feeling and we are so uh, in tune with that person's personality and just how they will react to something that's when it gets really hard to set that boundary because if you don't have that connection with that person I think um, it's just easier to say no in general boundaries 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 how do we set boundaries in the workplace? Uh, I often see you have the manager asking you to stay late. You've worked, you've worked your whole eight hour shift. Now, 30 minutes before you leave, the manager wants you to stay late. I see situations where, you know, a lot of these corporations are combining the role responsibility of two and three different people into one person. And they're expecting this one person to produce what two and three people should be producing. So how would you say we can develop boundaries like, you know, within the workplace, within within school, just some of these more, these institutions. See, that's, there's a huge component there that we have, we don't have much control over. Um, and we are dependent, our financial situation is 
depends on how uh, we are perceived at work. So it can get very messy setting a boundary at work, but there are ways that we can communicate that will allow the other person to really stop feeling um, defensive or feeling like they're being attacked or, you know, undermined and just understand your situation in an empathic way. So if you are being overworked a lot, for example, they know you're being overworked, but they might not realize that in the moment um, until you point it out. So if you have not communicated it, they don't know what you're going through. Um, if you are doing your work and you're getting it done and then you're doing more work on top of that and they're asking you to stay over time, you have every right in this situation to say, hey, I really appreciate you and I really um, you know, appreciate you that you considered me for this job, but I already have so much on my plate and I don't think I will be able to um, put in my full effort if I'm dividing myself in between so many tasks um, and then just make them realize I've been working, you know, um, for this, for this long, sometimes people are just not aware. And if you are in a good workplace environment, they value um, their, their employees uh, health. And they know that burnout actually decreases their work productivity and what the whole workplace together can um, produce. So it's really important to just communicate when something like that happens rather than feeling resentful and just hating your job in general. So when we do get in, in situations like that where, you know, there is some discomfort, there is confusion, there's conflict, it's key that we don't just, whatever emotions we feel, they're valid, they, they matter. Uh, but it's key that we don't just emotionally dump those feelings on the people. And it's key that we use healthy venting. Uh, because healthy venting is one is going to help us set the boundaries Two is going to get the information out. Cause like you said, sometimes people just don't even know. Uh, and then three, you're going to always have that, that tactfulness that's needed, especially if it's like a professional environment, you want to make sure, even if the other people aren't professional, you still want to be professional. You still want to make sure you have, you know, your professionalism intact all the time when you're when you're at work when you're doing business all the time you want to make sure that you're the one being professional because you never know one you never know who's watching you never know who people are going to become and you want to make sure that when you go to sleep you have peace of mind knowing that you handled yourself accordingly in situations especially in, in business situations where you know your reputation does matter a lot and you created a beautiful graphic for us on emotional dumping versus healthy venting. So can you just walk us through that graphic uh, and some of the, the the ideas behind it? Yeah, um, that's such an important topic. And honestly, it can go, um, it can be in the work environment or in your relationships and your friendships. This kind of communication style has such a huge impact on how the end result comes out in that conversation. Um, and one of the things that I really, um, even with my clients, I always tell them, try to say what you are angry about by only using I statements. So instead of saying, you know, you have given me so much work or you tend to do this, try to make it into um, something that is all I statements. So, you know, I feel like I've, um, I've I'm being, um, you know, I, I'm working more than I can handle right now, instead of saying you've given me way too much work. 
so that really just allows the other person to be more empathic towards you and also not be defensive while listening to you. Because when the other person is defensive, they're going to rile up. So their body is going to start producing all these symptoms like, you know, um, racing hard, heavy breathing, and just their mind starts to race and they just want to defend themselves. So they'll say something back to you that is going to be an attack towards you. And this conversation is just not going to go well at the end. It's going to feel toxic. Um, and it'll turn into this thing that it would be emotional dumping that one person's like, you know, well, we have so much to get done and you're not getting anything done from what I'm seeing. Like it just can turn into such a, um, such a messy thing. But if you go into a conversation and understand, hey, I'm talk- I'm going to be talking about something uncomfortable right now. And I understand that this person is not going to be happy or validating in this conversation. But I want to make sure that they are heard while I talk about what I have to say. Um, and automatically, I think the other person usually tries to mirror what how you are communicating. Um, so if you're using I statements, for example, like I feel disrespected or I feel unheard rather than saying, you've been so rude to me. It just turns into a very um, beneficial conversation that takes up less time and you can listen and acknowledge each other's perspective and really value that um, conversation. Oh man, those are great tips, especially the the you versus the I statement. I'm going to try to use that personally myself uh, in my own personal life. I think that will help me a lot um, especially when there's conflict with someone, you know, instead of really blaming them, like you mother, <laughs> you better, <laughs> you know what I mean? Now it's like, well, no, no, no. I, I, let me, let me, let me tell you how I feel. I think that also like, it lets you, it kind of lets you connect to, as soon as you start where you, you're like, well, I feel it's like, it really allows you to answer that question. Well, what do you feel? Like you really get to answer that and you really get to like, in become more in tune with yourself when you when you make a statement like that. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it, it's a win-win either way. Um, and it's funny because even when I tell my clients to say, okay, you know what? Yes. So this situation's coming up. So this situation's coming up and it's going to be very distressing for you. Pretend I'm that person and talk to me like you're going to talk to them and only use I statements. It is so difficult for people to do that, even when they know that they have to do it, because we are just not um, naturally we a lot of us are not in tune with our own feelings and how to talk about ourselves. Um, So it can it can be very tough, but it's very beneficial for sure. So what tell us about the offerings you have going on? I know you have a a course. Uh, Tell us everything, how we can find you about your offerings, how we can get connected. Yeah, so I um, I have that Instagram account, The Brain Coach. I think that's uh, my main, um, it's a labor of love, but it's my main page. And I try to really engage my followers uh, anytime I can. So that's there. And I have launched a course with um, my wonderful partner, Sahar. She's been teaching um, communication techniques for over a decade at this point. And uh, we have created a very, uh, very helpful course to navigate um, difficult conversations, be assertive, set boundaries in the workplace, and really speak up with confidence, even when we're presenting. So there's a lot of these communication skills, especially that I've talked about in this course. 
And we did launch our first um, our first launch a couple of months ago, and we'll be launching again in September. So that's uh, another thing that we've been working on. Um, yeah, so th- those are the two things. And uh, if if you guys uh, ever feel like you want more information outside of my page, I also have a subscription newsletter um, list. So you can always go on my page and sign up there as well. This has been the Brain Coach on Free Your Energy Podcast.